Welcome to The Technology Pill, a podcast that looks at how technology is reshaping our lives every day and exploring the different ways that governments and companies use tech to increase their power. My name is Gus Hossein, and I'm the Executive Director of Privacy International. I'm Caitlin, and I'm PR's Campaigns Officer. Hello. Before we get started, let's quickly address what you've probably already noticed, which is we have a new theme song. If you haven't already noticed, maybe this is your first episode, in which case, welcome to the podcast. We hope you have a nice time. Our old theme song was by Sepia. Our new theme song is also by Sepia. I think all the music pretty much we use in the podcast is by Sepia at this point. And if you haven't checked him out, you definitely should. He's fantastic. It's called Love Letter, and we hope you enjoy it. For this podcast, we are commemorating the very sad moment where Yahoo Answers is being shut down. Internet history being kind of lost, although I think the Internet Archive, Wayback Machine, have said they'll archive the site, so it won't be lost, lost forever, for all time, like some of GeoCities was. So tell me, does this mean Yahoo no longer exists, or is it just Yahoo Answers? This is just Yahoo Answers. I do wonder if it's like the beginning of the end for Yahoo. Yeah, they've had a weird rough few years. Do they even still own Tumblr anymore? I think they sold Tumblr. I'm not even sure Tumblr is a thing still anymore. Tumblr is still a thing. I've heard Tumblr described as like the ghostly fairground, the haunted fairground on the other side (laughs) of the town. Um, But it does still exist, although in a much, much smaller form than from before Yahoo got its hands on it and did the great porn ban, the most recent round of kind of porn banning, I guess, on fandom mm. services. But yeah, but just just kind of see what we, we're going to miss, the kind of great caliber of content that's on Yahoo Answers. Uh, I trawled the computers and internet section to see if there are any questions that we can help with. Nice. I think we've missed the window for uploading the answers that we have. By the time this comes out, I think, at minimum, it will no longer be editable, at, but I think it might actually be down by the time that you're hearing this. But no, we thought we'd, we'd see if there are any any that we can help out with. Some of these are more serious than others. The first one that I found made me so happy. And it's from two months ago. <laughs> and someone called Psycho Solo Diver asked in computers and internet, internet, other internet, what was social media like during World War II? Did either side censor what could be posted? <laughs> um, <laughs> the favourite answer is also really sweet because it's completely like... Straight face, down the line. Favourite answer by Lord Bacon, level seven, is there was no social media in World War II. Both sides censored private letters and had laws about what could be publicly disclosed. People could write to national newspapers in the hope their letter would be published, but it was up to the newspaper to apply its own publication standards and to comply with the law. It's like, bless your heart, Lord Bacon. I appreciate you. I hope Lord Bacon finds a very good home on the internet after. Uh, yeah, Somewhere like Cora. I don't really yeah. know the next the next answer service. The geek in me was wondering, like, it, was there an analogy to social media at the time? And the story I keep on going back to is when um, people would try to use radio 
and broadcast radio, often behind enemy lines, and how you would have vans driving around neighborhoods trying to detect the emission of radio transmitters to see if there's somebody from the other side behind enemy lines. And where that gets interesting in a post-World War II environment is when I moved to this country, I live in the UK, there were stories about vans driving around neighborhoods to detect whether or not you have a television in order to find you... Well, they, no, the van can't detect whether or not you have the license. The van, apparently, with this thing on the roof that turns around doing some kind of theater, could detect whether or not you are using a television. Uh, that kind of just blows my mind. But um, some technologies just die very hard. Yeah, I've never seen one of those. Next question from question mark asking computers and internet, internet, other internet also about a month ago. Do you allow cookies when you surf? More sites are putting up cookie walls than ever. And again, I really do appreciate the top answer, which is no, they get all soggy when you fall in the sea from F level seven, <laughs> which I think is probably that surf is a, is a, a kind of, I guess, old fashioned way of saying you hang out on the internet. Oh, don't tell, don't say that, Caitlin. You surf the waves. That's, are you saying that people don't use the term surf anymore? I don't think they do. Oh, God. <laughs> Maybe I, I should be the quite... person answering the question about World War II. I'm starting to feel really old. <laughs> but I think it's from like the 90s, like hackery movie things with the kids yeah. on the, you know, no, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I don't think I've gosh. ever heard anyone say surf the web since like no no you're right school. i guess you're right i maybe i just don't talk about it maybe we don't surf any, i don't know i just feel horribly old so do you want to explain what cookies are i mean i i kind of don't know if listeners know i assume they know to an extent but do you want to give a quick just in case well i made the wrong assumption that listeners know what surfing is <laughs> yeah so Cookies are like an ancient, ancient 1990s technology uh, <laughs> where a website, when you visit a server, a website that's serving to you content, it allows that website to insert a very small file on your computer, on your browser, and it's called a cookie file, that the next time you revisit that site, it can use to detect that you were there before. So it might have an identifier saying that you were here three weeks before. And then on the website side, they could then say, and and three weeks before when you were here, you did all these other things. It was a clever idea in 1990 just to allow sites to remember you and to manage your accounts. But then the advertising industry got their fingers on these cookies and started creating what are now called third-party cookies. And This allows a website, like when you visit a website, traditionally only that website would give you a cookie. Now when you go to websites, they can issue cookies from third parties. The the classic example was when you went to the New York Times website, you would get cookies from like 17 different organizations because the New York Times would want to help those organizations track you as you go across the internet so that advertisements can be uh, basically served to you. Then there are laws that came along that said, no, 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 you can't do this without gaining people's consent unless it's first party. And even then you should be notifying and gaining consent. 
And so that's when the industry, the assholes that they are, decided to facetiously implement this by throwing up bucket loads of consent mechanisms where it's just far easier to say yes than to say no to the 8,000 options that just show how much of an asshole they are. But it would just be easier if you just said yes and let them go back to their regular business, which is not what I would ever recommend, but that's what they have set it up to do. Yeah, and increasingly people have done research into dark patterns, which are like really sneaky ways of trying to manipulate you to say like, you know, accept all and then kind of keep rolling with the version that they want. You see it in other places other than cookies where services try and make it really hard for you to unsubscribe. And that's this kind of in cookie form. I know there's one add-on that has been recommended to me that I haven't looked into that much to take with a pinch of salt called Consentomatic, which goes through and kind of fills these forms in for you. It only knows some of them, but if it recognizes one, it will go, oh, okay, yeah, you don't want these, <laughs> and fill in these little forms for you, which just should make your life a tiny bit easier. But yeah, the consent thing was supposed to make in the internet nicer and has made it in some ways more burdensome, which is not ideal. Yeah, yeah and also as a result, like I end up using multiple browsers for multiple purposes. I use porn mode a lot. Um, and sorry, I shouldn't use incognito. that term. <laughs> uh, I don't, incognito is what uh, Chrome calls it. and uh, Private I think browsing is what private uh, browsing. Firefox calls it. That's right. And these are modes of using your browser where it doesn't retain any history. So I don't mind logging in repeatedly on the sites where I have to log in, but most sites... I can just get by without having to worry about any of those things. So I'll go in in porn mode and just hit yes, and it's fine because it won't remember me the next time. Mm-hmm. The the catch is the bastards are winning, except they're not. Like cookies are dying as a standard because of all this pain, but the alternatives don't look particularly promising either. And the EFF's done some really good analyses recently of some of the alternatives being promoted by Google, the company that has the most to gain and lose by mm-hmm. decisions around internet advertising and tracking. And they're doing weird things to Chrome. But yeah, the EFF will post some links in the description about that. So the next question is actually a type that I saw quite frequently strangely this one was asked by wesley in computers and internet software four weeks ago is the upcoming covid vaccine still in its trial phase is there any vaccine against covid which that has been perfected and is not a safety risk and again the top answer chris anchor level seven coming at you with they are all perfectly safe to expose your computer to which <laughs> is true uh, well it's not true they're liquid i'm not sure you'd want to pull one on your keyboard but I really like these questions. There were a ton of questions about COVID in computers and internet software. And they ran (laughs) the kind of range from, why does my dad pronounce COVID like COVID? Um, I don't know. He might actually be talking about the breed of birds. Breed? They're not breed. The type of bird, like ravens. Maybe you're just talking across purposes. I don't know. That one's a weird one. Yeah, it was just a weird range of questions. And I think, and this was the one where I realized why, and I think virus is what has done it. I don't know if it's Yahoo's own funneling systems, if it's people getting confused, and there's maybe a drop down for virus that tells you where you should be putting things. But I genuinely think it's people confusing virus like coronavirus with virus like computer virus. 
<laughs> which I don't know if it says a lot about Yahoo as a service we're losing, but I just found quite funny and quite sweet. The good news is there are several COVID vaccines that are out of the trial phase and in use. Though, as with all medicines, I, I don't know if any are completely, perfectly risk-free, but they're pretty safe. You know, they're, pr- they're pretty safe, fairly comfortable. Say, many have been recommended by many different medical agencies and they're pretty safe. Look, if four out of five dentists agree on the use of dentine in order to make your teeth better, then... Uh... Yeah, safety risk is 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 hard to assess, but I think the consensus is that there are risks and there are real risks, and this is a mild risk. But yeah, I would never use the word perfected either. But yeah. oh well. So the next question is also a COVID one, but it's not quite as specific. It's, again, a slightly strange place for it to be, but Sargent asked in Computers and Internet Software two weeks ago, can we consider COVID-19 as examples of social change? What? Right, so I think the answer is no. COVID in itself is not an example of social change. But what I think is interesting about this one is I think we can say that COVID potentially will be a cause, progenitor, you know, there may be some social change thanks to COVID. And what I thought was interesting about this question is it kind of brings up some of the concerns that we've had about things that will stay around after COVID, around surveillance measures and other things that started because of COVID and may lead to ultimately a social change that we don't like and we don't want. Yes. And some of them might involve technology that might involve software. So that's why it belongs in the Yahoo Answers section on computers and internet slash software. Right? Potentially. Yes. Potentially. potentially. I mean, in the UK, the most obvious one is probably around vaccine passports because the UK has been so persistently anti-ID. There's been a lot of conversation about vaccine passports, which would be you go to a venue, a pub, a shop, whatever, and you say, here is my health status. And there has been some concern about that as a forefather for a form of ID sticking around. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it's 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 too early in the day for me to be drinking to answer that specific question about vaccine passports. <laughs> we should have a separate podcast uh, where I do have tequila with me, where we can talk about that in great detail. Nice. I'm holding you to that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And with with keywords where every time it's mentioned, I have to drink. Yes, that would be great. But Debbie Conley asked in computers and internet, hardware, laptops and notebooks four weeks ago, is it dangerous to soak your feet while working on your laptop? <laughs> I think the concern is dropping your laptop in the water, I think. The good news is you're probably fine. Unless your laptop's plugged in. Your laptop might get hurt, but you're probably fine. You're not going to electrocute yourself. Oh, your I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I actually don't know on that one. And for what it's worth, uh, Subad Deep responded just as you did, pretty much, which is, yes, it is quite dangerous. You might actually drop your laptop in water. So that's certainly a risk. But like, I don't know. So I have a, a MacBook like the big ass one plugged in right now. And I touch parts of it, it vibrates. And like, so I can feel the charge. Well, this is the thing. So if it's plugged in, the laptop itself is probably not going to electrocute you. The brick probably would. That's the difference. And this one I wasn't sure about, so I double checked with our lead technologists. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> because I was like, oh, you could electrocute yourself. And he said broadly, the laptop itself isn't going to do you much damage, but if it's plugged in, the brick definitely can. So don't have your laptop plugged in if you're going to be using it. Near water. And also you're going to fry your laptop. Although having said that, I had a Mac, I have a Mac, I still have it somewhere, that is now 11 years old that has survived everything. And I've dropped it downstairs. I dropped it on my foot once, which if you are soaking your feet and you drop your laptop on your foot, it's flipping agony. I was not, my feet weren't in water, but I dropped it on my foot and it has a dent in its case to this day from where it struck me. But it survived. I feel like there's a lawsuit in the making there because like nowhere in the packaging does it say, do not drop on your feet. It was really painful. and then, But I also dropped it down the stairs and it survived that. I got some... <laughs> I got some coffee on it on the keyboard and now all of the keys on the side don't really work. So one doesn't work, Q doesn't work, A doesn't work, backspace doesn't work, Z doesn't work. But it's actually, it's it's more usable than it sounds because you get used to it. <laughs> and I was using it at the time all through university. So... With your vocabulary severely limited. <laughs> well, no, what you just, what you do is you always have an A copied and pasted ready to go and you just get used to command... <laughs> being it instead of typing a and i can touch type but like eventually it just gets embedded in and then you hand the laptop to someone else and then you just sit there and you smile at them and then it creeps them out but it is a, a good time yeah i once spilled <laughs> um olive oil on my laptop um which now a, a colleague at pi has to use and it's legendary oh you're on the olive oil laptop yeah yeah <laughs> oh dear the next one's quite interesting. The next one is a bit more on topic because Doug asked in computers and internet software about a week ago, how do I screenshot another person's phone? So I noticed while at work recently that my supervisor took a screenshot with his phone of the screen of the scanner device I use for my job. I'm not talking about how he just takes a photo with my hand holding the device and it shows the screen. No, this is like the actual screen of my device that was taken a picture of. Is there an app I can go to do the same thing? I'm interested in learning about it. So that's interesting because the question isn't this something happened to me and it was a gross invasion of my privacy. The question mm. was something's happened to me. Can I do it to others? <laughs> yeah. And the answer is probably no. The answer is probably this is a device you use your work. Your boss has access to it. Bear in mind, your boss has access to it. Like, don't be getting drunk and scanning your butt on this scanner. Uh, <laughs> if it's a document scanner, you're, you're getting in trouble. And workplace surveillance actually particularly because of covid is something we've been seeing more and more and something we've been investigating because having access to the scanner is kind of one of only a myriad of ways that your boss may have started trying to surveil you yeah fun times amazon are particularly aggressive about this sort of thing and actually in terms of non-workplace surveillance devices to access someone else's phone they do exist and they're mostly used in kind of domestic control situations. So if you're worried someone does have access to your phone and it, it's not for this kind of fairly easy to put together reason, we've got some resources on our website. It would definitely be worth talking to someone like uh, an organization like Women's Aid who can help you because the kind of controlling partner who is looking at your phone or is installing things on your phone so they can keep tabs on you is not a charming person 
to put it, for it extremely mildly. I think I read over the Christmas break, Apple or Google, or maybe Apple and Google both announced that they're going to try to make it easier for people to detect whether or not their phones have had software installed that would allow for this capability without their knowledge. Yeah, I think they've been added to, at least Google has this thing called Play Protect, which kind of scans your phone for and the apps that have been downloaded. And I think the plan was to include this in that, but I don't know. But just on the, the, the question of like scanners very specifically, like if there's a scanner in your office, this is a, a fascinating thing. Like I recall there was case law and examples in the 1990s and 2000s about how photocopiers would store copies of whatever it is that they're photocopying. And this was particularly in workplace environments. But there was also this whole thing about photocopiers and possibly scanners as a result too, not being able to scan some things such as currency or IDs. And that was because of legal requirements in the US and all this kind of stuff. We don't worry about those things in particular when we talk about a scanner at work. We just consider our printers and scanners to be the most insecure device in the whole network. So we use them with great care and disdain. What we've kind of done with our printer accidentally at the office from memory because we haven't been there in like a year but what would recently a new development was it refused to let you print remotely so you had to you had to for a while transfer everything to your usb make sure it was a usb the printer got on with because it didn't get on with all of them and go take that to the printer and print that whether that would have stopped someone hacking the print queue i don't particularly necessarily think so but Probably not. And the fact we're using USBs as, as a device going around from computer to computer and printer, it's a horrible thing. But uh, yeah, that's just the reality of the PI network. Yeah. So secure that it's useless to the point where it might actually be a security threat. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure even that was a security thing. I think it's just that printers are awful. All printers yeah. are dreadful. They suck. Yeah. There is no yeah. good work printer. Like Even if yeah. it's a good one, eventually everyone will hate it so much it's a bad one, even if it's working comparatively quite well. And we have a lot of lawyers at PI, and they like using printers. I love using printers. I like writing I things hate down. Printers. Wow. I print out. One thing I like doing with drafts of work is printing it out and then red penning myself. So I'll write notes to myself, but oh, like it's homework on my own document, and nice. then type that up. That's sweet. Shannon Stein asked in computers and internet hardware desktops three weeks ago. My computer won't turn on. I was on my Mac, iMac 2008 20-inch doing homework today and suddenly I heard a loud popping sound and smelled smoke and it exploded. I saw bolts and screws and the screen all explode and burst across the room and the computer was just a charred up mess. What should I do? Um, and the first answer is you could stop lying for a start. And a lot of a lot of the responses to this were like, how did you even post this if you don't have a computer? Which was bizarre because although the computer was from 2008, we still have smartphones. Did we have smartphones in 2008? I think we did, even then, many, many years ago. Uh, <laughs> just barely though, mind. but yeah. So this one might be total nonsense, but if you do overload the battery in a laptop or something like this, it can go quite badly wrong it's not impossible for your laptop to explode it is extremely unlikely <laughs> like well so so what's extremely... interesting is that, that that favorite answer that got like 
six star favorite answers. You could stop lying for a start. You, capital Y O U. You could stop lying for a start. And so this person who responded in this way was like self righteously angry that mm. um, somebody would post a question that that sounds un un unreal. Defame and the good name of Yahoo Answers. Exactly. And then what's even more interesting is that the uh, this person's response to the question, this self-righteous one, got 18 thumbs up. It's like I there's know. a community of people who are outraged at the fact that this question was asked and rallying around the person who is accusing the person of asking the question of lying. Which I think is harsh. Like, it's not outside the realm of human possibility. Although, if this has happened to you, my first question wouldn't be my computer won't turn on. Because it has exploded. Your computer has exploded. It's not going to turn on. You don't have a computer anymore. It's dead. You should get a new computer and also investigate what happened. Because if it's a problem with you, I don't, was it an electrical surge? Was it such a big electrical surge that it overloaded whatever it is internally and it blew up? In which case you might want to investigate the electrics in your house (laughs) before you plug anything else in because that is concerning. But yeah, it's not completely impossible. And I hope you're okay if this happened. And if it didn't happen, then I think you live a strange life that this is something that you decided to post on Yahoo Answers. Where there were 15 answers to it. 15 answers. A lot of which were just like, yeah, whatever, you're a liar. Which seems very mean. And like, for example, remember those Samsung phones that kept setting on fire that you couldn't take on airplanes? that's a real thing. It does happen. And 2008, I don't know what year it is, 2021? 2021. Yes. yes. That was 13 years ago. Was it 13? Gus, I think I'm losing my mind. <laughs> mm, it <laughs> is 13, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, that laptop itself could be in high school by now. Although it doesn't feel like that old. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, like, so I, I studied computer science back in the 1990s, and um, that was before – that was just as laptops were becoming a thing. But in order to do your homework, you'd have to go to the computing labs and sit in the computing labs late at night doing the coding homework and preparing for the exams. And there'd be times where my code just wouldn't compile because I was a really bad wannabe computer scientist. And there were times I would just stare at the screen and will it, will for it to explode just because if it's not working at a software level, it must be not working at a physical level because it can't possibly be me. <laughs> That's the fault behind it. Back when my mum was in university, and my mum is 63, so it was some time ago that she was in university, she took a computing class. She was like, this is going to be important. She took a computing class, and she told me that it was like this massive computer, like size of a room computer, huge, and she and her mates, they got told simple task like make a card and get it to print like those yeah. two things she had to do they managed to set it on like an endless loop and they broke the computer very badly <laughs> endlessly trying to print birthday cards so my mother did did kind of destroy a very huge and probably at the time extremely expensive university computer that's awesome she should have put that on yahoo answers that would have been a great <laughs> she one should have. How please could, help yeah. How can you make a, a, a birthday card without destroying a room full of computers? <laughs> yes. When I was a kid, we had one in the kitchen. Until I was about 16, we had a computer in the kitchen, this big cathode ray tube thing. Oh, yeah. 
which could explode. Like that's a tube that actually can explode. <laughs> and we used to sit there in the end of the kitchen doing all of our, you know, word art, Barbie horse riding games. It was a weird time. The <laughs> computer has such visceral, like, sense memories of the way it like felt and smelled because it was, I don't know, yeah. weird. Anyway. And that was back in the day when parents would buy computers for their kids thinking that it would just naturally make them smarter. Remember that? <laughs> Well, we had BT internet, which was fine, but my friend had AOL, and AOL had forums, AOL had better internet, shinier things came with AOL, and I was extremely jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Anonymous asked in computers and internet, internet, other internet, and this is important, two weeks ago, What is wrong with my computer? Windows 98 is acting strange? (laughs) My computer has progressively lost functionality, working worse and worse over time. A couple of years ago, AOL quit working to log in, and I stopped getting a, welcome, you've got mail, message when I went online in AOL 4.0. I then had to try and get online another way and was able to get a neighborhood kid to install a radio antenna on my computer, plugged into the scanner port and connect some sort of box to the phone line, and this blue-black box with rabbit ears on it. I then called the phone company to set up internet, and they told me I couldn't use AOL, and how there was Outlook and Internet Explorer, which we used instead of AOL 4.0. The internet works like crap, and most sites still don't load an Internet Explorer, and Outlook 97 doesn't work with the new email systems very well. It doesn't say welcome, and say you've got mail anymore, and I can't get my email anymore. What happened? What could be wrong? So many things could be wrong. My guy. I'm just flabbergasted. Like, if, if this was real... Mm. The uh, I just love the the reference to get a neighborhood kid. Uh, that is just like so how we would speak in the 1950s. But if it's not real, how much research did this person have to do to find out what version? What was the name of the email application on Windows 98? Was it Outlook 97? Was Internet Explorer on uh, Windows 98, or was it called something else at the time? That just blows my mind. Either a lot of work went into crafting a fake question with limited gain, other than the fact we're discussing it, or it's a real question written by yeah. Somebody who's enjoying AOL. I mean, the serious answer is please upgrade your operating system. In general, upgrade your operating system when offered or pretty much when offered because security patches are important. This arguably is security through obsolescence because no one's trying to hack Windows 98 anymore. Yeah. So the serious answer is my guy, please update your stuff because... You're quite vulnerable otherwise. You, Yeah, you say that, but wasn't that the whole NHS fiasco? Wasn't yeah. it Windows 98? Well, so the thing with the NHS, and actually I used to work for a hotel when I first moved to London, and what they had as well was they bought the software back way back when, and to update it for every single computer they have, A, would cost a fortune, and B, for the NHS, things need to be down for that to happen. It's quite difficult to coordinate all of those updates such yeah, that the course. systems that are asynchronously updating can still communicate with each other. The hotel was just cheap. They just didn't they, – they, they had a booking system designed for like 98, and they did not want to update it. So, yes, then the NHS got hit with WannaCry, which is what I think it was called, which was a ransomware, yeah. and got locked out of some of their systems, and it was really quite scary. So my partner's dad, who is really lovely, has an accounting system called Quicken 90 
Aang, I think. I remember Quicken, yeah. That he still uses. And every time uh, Windows updates, he has to... He call he calls my partner and goes, It's not working anymore. What do I do? Um so now his accounting software is largely run in a VM because it's oh, so excellent. out of date. It's so excellent. completely does not communicate with anything that it's the only way to make it run and he is sticking with it. It is a very good accounting software, apparently. I'm mildly jealous because like, the whole idea of a, a piece of software has to run within an operating system of its own. I think that's quite revolutionary. But uh I I think I'm betraying some of the security of our own systems. But because of our online banking, in order to pay staff salaries and all these other things, we have to use software that isn't updated as quickly as operating systems are. And mm. it is infuriating. So I, it, I, it does remind me of the Quicken situation, having to wait for these things to be updated. So I am sympathetic. But then in some ways, the fact that it's lasted so long as compared to some phones and kind of modern hardwares and softwares that it has lasted so long so you know quote unquote well given it has to be in its own vm is a pretty good sign like we're going to have more work coming out later in the year that talks about the environmental impact of planned obsolescence and all of these kind of other things but yeah (laughs) so broadly it's nice that you've made it this far but update your shit and if it's not real which, to be honest, feels like the most likely answer, then nicely done. So next question. Anonymous asked in computers and internet software three months ago, could a computer run forever and never break, ignoring the fact its processing power wouldn't cope with newer software over time, which is related, and I thought was really interesting. And the top answer, which was not the favourite answer, but was the top answer. All circuit paths wear out over time with use. If it sat in the closet and never got used, then it might last longer. But if it's being used, it will die one day. And I guess no, I'm like it a will level. die one day. Capital. Everything dies one day. It will <laughs> die one day. And like archaeologically, there are things that we built many years ago that are dust now. You know, all things to dust from dust it came. <laughs> To dust it <laughs> oh my good god wow that's that's poetic i was going to dumb this down by referring to a star trek next generation episode where they were traveling and they ran into an earth ship that was like a few hundred years old and it, they were still able to turn the machine back on this the computer system back on and it was running an intel 986 which is funny because when Star Trek um, Next Generation came out in the 1990s, the, the whole concept of a Intel 986, because Intel chips were famously 86 and then uh, 186 and then 286, 386, 486. So Star Trek writers imagined that a by the time we were able to fly among the stars, we'd have Intel 986 chips. Yeah, and they would still work 300 years later when you turn on the uh, ship again. Well, if you look at the the designs we've sent into space of things we want to last a while, like we go rudimentary, we go backwards, the, oh God, is it Voyager that has the disc on it? Yes. Hello from the children of planet Earth. Bonjour tout le monde. Привет. Yeah, so what it is, is it's a very old-fashioned like record i guess that's designed to be used almost by a phonograph yep (laughs) Um, record player (laughs) yes a record player i was reading an article the other day that was saying they got a woman because they thought in the future people would be able to read brainwaves 
So they recorded this woman's, from the team of people, Carl Sagan's team of people who were putting together what was going to go on it. They recorded her brainwaves as she kind of read poetry and all sorts of things. But she just, like, just at the time, she and Carl Sagan had fallen in love. And I think he'd just proposed or they were just, they'd just decided to get together or something. And it makes her really happy that Somewhere in Space is, is like a record of her brain kind of first falling in love, which is lovely. It's really sweet. And the hope is that the older style records physical technology that can be physically read one day might get seen by aliens. Wow. Um, That's a great story. I'll put the link somewhere because it's really lovely. It's a nice contrast to where you started this conversation, which is it's all going to die and turn to dust. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's harder. Things take longer to turn to dust in space, Um, uh, which is why. Really? I guess, yeah, there's no oxygen, so I can't quite... No oxygen. Very cold. The, yeah, very cold. So you're in no no oxygenation and you're in a freezer. But Elon, I wonder how Elon, long Elon Musk's car will last and how soon it will come that he blasts that's, into space and whether yeah, it will work. that's a good question. It won't work once it, you know, comes careening back down to Earth <laughs> as so much space junk. Space junk, Jesus, Exactly. future caitlin just popping by because i realized i didn't really explain who the woman was when we recorded this podcast her name is andrian she's an emmy and peabody award-winning science communicator and she was actually the creative director of nasa's voyager project so she wasn't just a random woman in the team as i think i might have a little bit made it sound we'll include a link to the story i originally read in the description but there's also a radio lab podcast episode that I'll also include a link to because it's lovely. Okay, back to the actual podcast. Next question. Why won't my printer print GIFs properly? Now I took a screenshot of this and I've cut off where it got put, so I can't tell you who said it or where they put it. But (laughs) one of the very mean answers that is actually the third answer, but is by Spock RHP level 7, depends on the GIF, not the printer, which is really mean. (laughs) Most of the other answers are like, you can't it's not gonna work but that one that one's like get the right gif <laughs> to be fair if you printed out every single frame taped them together in a flick book bang printed gif so it's not impossible it's just a yeah that's what work. the um the second answer says the gif is more like a series of images and a single image you must first extract the image you want from the gif and then save it as jpeg png and finally print it it's a really thoughtful answer they're, they're saying pick a single frame They're saying, pick the image you want from the GIF. I'm saying, pick all of the images from the GIF, print like a hundred different individual pages, and then use them like a flick. And now you know why the PI printer doesn't work very well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Our our printing budget, actually, every year is in the thousands of pounds. Now I think it's because of you, but actually it's mostly (laughs) because of our lawyers. Anonymous asked in computers and internet, internet, Facebook, my grandson denied my Facebook request on Facebook? And then the then, No, my grandson denied sweet. my friend request. Oh, my friend request on Facebook. Yes. <laughs> Most of the answers are quite sweet and sympathetic. Uh, one just says, maybe because of privacy, which is a bit harsh. Like, I don't think the grandparent is trying to snoop, but I also think maybe your grandson is posting things on Facebook they don't want you to see. If you're in this situation, you can do what I did to my parents when I was about 
God, how long has Facebook been around? When I was about 14, 15, which is you can exclude specific people from seeing your posts unless you specifically include them. So my parents were excluded from seeing any of my posts unless I specifically said on that post that they could see it. Because both my parents friended me on Facebook. And although I did nothing interesting, like <laughs> nothing interesting at the time, this was before I could really drink. So there were no interesting posts, no interesting pictures, but I was like, no unacceptable you do not need to see the cool things i'm up to <laughs> it is interesting that that dynamic so i left facebook about seven or eight years ago and a few weeks later i get a email from my mom that's in all caps which i was impressed my mom knew that all caps meant she's yelling at me and so she yelled at me saying why did you unfriend me on facebook and say the seven-year-old in me came out me and they said sorry sorry i didn't mean to it's just i'm no longer on facebook and then she didn't my respond my dad and I, and did I, the same thing my yeah. dad like stomped downstairs i hadn't unfriended him I think he just misread something, but at the time he had only had two friends on Facebook, and it was me and his one other friend. So I don't know how. So he the other friend st- left. Maybe, but he stomped downstairs and says, "You've unfriended me on Facebook. I'm undadding you. <laughs> I'm undadding you until until you've refriended me on Facebook." <laughs> I was like, I "Don't know what that means." Poetically, that's just dangerous use of language. <laughs> wow. One time. I'd gotten myself in a complicated romantic situation in university and someone had set me as their girlfriend on Facebook, um, which I most certainly was not. And Facebook hadn't asked me if this was something I wanted to happen. And my friend had texted me like, oh, I didn't know you got a boyfriend. I was like, I don't. What are you talking about? And the only way around it was I had to set my relationship status in a relationship with someone else. So I set my relationship status in, as engaged or no, to, as married to my flatmate because, you know, whatever, it doesn't really matter. We're not in a relationship. It's to get out of this other situation. But my mum still texts me like, oh, I saw you're married on Facebook J- just to just to check. Um, did you get married? And it's like, no, mum. No, I did not get married. I love I the contrast in response that between your dad stomping down over <laughs> just the loss of a friendship versus your mom being so so just curious about whether or not you're married. Just to check. Did you get married and not invite me? <laughs> I think I think she was trying to be accepting because um I came out as bi to my parents in like late high school and I think after that she was just like, Ooh because at the time oh it's a really funny story because at the time um like i told my mom i told my sister and they talked about it and then and, and my sister told my mom oh don't worry she's just joking which is like an insane thing to joke about but apparently i have a very like comedic face <laughs> and my mom later came to me and said are you joking so i think after that with all the kind of like faintly gay stuff she was like i'll just err on the side of caution <laughs> i'll just err on the side of you're being serious D- did you did you get married? Okay. <laughs> oh no, my. Don't worry about it. Next question. Is Facebook illegally using your device processor? And the favourite answer here, which only has one of the available stars, I believe, you're giving access of your whole phone data when you have installed that app. They can do anything if they want to because you have already given them permission, which is wrong is good news. That is wrong. <laughs> Facebook is almost certainly not illegally using your device processor in most situations. When you install an app, 
generally it will ask you for the significant or dangerous permissions in terms of access to kind of important parts of your phone. It has to ask you. The thing about this, when this is not the case, is when the app came pre-installed. So on some phones, there is a version of Facebook, particularly often Facebook Lite, and you'll buy the phone and it will already be on there. When the phone has come with the app already, it means whoever put the app there, whether it was the manufacturer, your telecoms company, whoever, they got to designate the permissions that the app gets. You don't get to choose. And this is something we've done a lot of work on, particularly around Android phones and later in the year, other kinds of phones. But it's a problem and it's particularly a problem on people with kind of lower cost phones. So we did an investigation last year into a Filipino phone that did come with Facebook Lite. So no, Facebook isn't illegally using a device processor, but if your phone comes pre-installed with Facebook, you can't control what it kind of has access to in your phone and what permissions it has been given. You have limited choices here. Try and avoid buying a phone that comes pre-installed with Facebook is the best advice I can kind of give you and come to our website and read more about it and help us campaign for a better ecosystem with better protections for people when it comes to pre-installed apps because it sucks that you would buy a new phone, not be able to choose what apps are on it and not be able to kind of control what they have access to. But yeah, so good news, bad news, I guess, with that one. the last one and uh, we don't have the metadata on when the question was asked but it is does the government hack our computers and, like it blows my mind that this is a this question is being asked it's a great freaking question mm-hmm. and so john two weeks ago responds the government is watching you right now through your webcam if you look closely enough into the lens you will see the tiny face of an nsa operative looking at you and making notes give him the finger then place some sticky tape over the lens and i got three thumbs up i would give that a thumbs up i'm a fan of that john it's not 100 percent accurate for, for obvious reasons but good job john yeah <laughs> and he's right about the sticky tape in general like it's, it's not bad security practice to stick some sticky tape or a little webcam cover over your webcam, although not necessarily because the government's coming to hack you. But yeah, I think I think the history of PI is that, yes, the government does hack our computers. Even if it doesn't hack your computer individually, it hacks a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, many, 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 many people and organizations have the capacity to hack as in maliciously attack your computer and make it do things you don't want it to do such as turn on the camera or the microphone or delete all your data put it under a ransomware and do all those things the fact that the government does it is particularly annoying when the government's supposed to make sure that all of our computers are secure but um, I, I really wish that if I looked closely enough into my camera, I could see <laughs> that NSA operative or whatever intelligence agencies across the planet who can do this or your next door neighbor who could set it up in a way to do it, which, uh, which is why we care about security so much. Talking of government hacking, we recently won a court case about general warrants, which are particularly interesting when it comes to government hacking. And we did a whole podcast about it. And you can listen to it right after you listen to this one. I think it's called Judgment Day and it is in our feed and I will put it in the show notes. Cool. 
We hope that helped everyone on Yahoo Answers, obviously, who asked these questions. What do you think the overlap is of our podcast audience <laughs> and the people on Yahoo Answers? It's a good question. I hope large. I like Yahoo Answers. I think Yahoo Answers is a really sweet, nice place. Broadly, I think anywhere on the internet where people sincerely go to ask questions and people sincerely try and help them, and there are a surprising number of those places, is a nice place. And I think it's sad we're losing it. Because although some of these questions are, you know, funny, and I, there are loads of memes going about, about the number of different ways people spell pregnant on Yahoo Answers, like, ultimately, when people don't know who to ask a question, they don't know where to go to, they don't have anyone in their life maybe they can they can ask, or it's a bit weird, you know, and they're not really sure, they don't want to be ridiculed, they can take it to Yahoo Answers, but they can't anymore, and I think that's a bit sad. God, Caitlin, that's really touching. <laughs> that's beautiful. Well, we've got Cora, yeah. which is, I don't really know the difference, to be totally honest, but, you know, there you go. Goodbye, You, you make Answers. me want to go online and start answering questions just as a human being, just to go out and, and help people. That's really such a touching thing. But, um, oh, well, Yahoo fucked it all up. And now, like much of the Bye, internet, Yahoo. this is how things die. <laughs> we hope that helped. Yes. We hope that helped. We hope that was an, a decent eulogy to Yahoo Answers, which is uh, saying goodbye now forever, but you will be able to find it, apparently, on the Internet Archive, who have stepped up to help out. Because internet history is somewhat ephemeral, but it deserves some record. So thank you for listening. We will hope we were helpful. And quick last thing, we're still running our survey, which you can find at pvcy.org forward slash TP survey or down in the description as usual. It would be amazing if you could fill it out. If you're one of the lovely people who've already filled it out, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. Your feedback is really useful. And if you're the person who included a lovely compliment about me, thank you very, very much. It made my weekend. Complimenting me is not a requirement of the survey, but it's appreciated. So yeah, the survey is available at pvcy.org forward slash TP survey, and it really will help us to make the show that bit better. Thanks. You can find out more about PI and our work at privacyinternational.org. And we'll include some links to the relevant Yahoo Answers and other information that we raised in this podcast in the description wherever you're listening. Like and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you use. It's also available on our website. Music is courtesy of Sepia. This podcast was produced for Privacy International by Max Burnell.